<laughs> that was like the best Super Bowl commercial ever. I thought it was an outrageous salute to white male privilege. It disgusted me. Come on now, it was funny. The guy brings a rhinoceros to watch the Super Bowl. It eats all his Doritos, but then it whizzes in his living room. That's funny. Oh, thank you, Greg, for mansplaining it to me. Who do you think is going to get the Swiffer and clean up the rhino tinkle? Who, Greg? Who cleans up the rhino tinkle? I'll answer you in a second, but I think I can get hashtag who cleans up the rhino tinkle going as a thing on Twitter. Okay, yes, so the commercial implies that the dude's wife will be cleaning up the rhino whiz, but that's a joke about men, right? Right, because men are so endearingly stupid and coarse and clueless, bringing an endangered species into the house to watch a game predicated on power and violence. What are you doing on your phone? I'm adopting a rhino. It's $55 on the World Wildlife Fund website. I have to act, Greg. I have to raise a candle against the darkness of your ignorance. Brady throws like a girl. I can't believe you said that. It was a joke. It was a joke about the way you think and talk. Do you not get that? Jeez. Today on the show, we pre-watch some Super Bowl commercials and talk about the psychological subtext of humor and political correctness. And now he was so offended by the Kim Kardashian commercial that he's boycotting all our past and future sex tapes. Colin McEnroe. Take that, Kim. All right. Uh, I showed her. Yeah, we are going to talk about the Super Bowl commercials today. We're also going to talk about a little bit about political correctness and a lot about a particular instance of a uh, an actor, a well-known actor, dealing with his own moment of political incorrectness in a graceful way. That kind of I, it's a nice prism through which to look at a debate that was uh, that raged up again this week. Uh, anyway, we've got a lot to do here, so. Uh, the main thing for me to do is to introduce the panel today on The Nose. Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, dancer, um, impresario, uh, probably the only person here who, when she watches Super Bowl commercials, goes, I could have played that person being sucked into the end of the world. Don't vortex. remind me. I could have gotten that. <laughs> um, she may have been up for some of these roles. Who knows? She might have been up for the rhino. Who knows? Uh, and uh, also joining us, uh, professor of history at Trinity College, uh, Luis Figueroa. And Patty McQueen, uh, owner and operator of Patty McQueen Communication Strategies. <laughs> um, so, um, it, first of all, I should explain that way back in 2011, long, long time ago, 2011, um, Volkswagen and its advertising firm actually put up on the interwebs uh, a commercial. It was actually what wound up being a beloved commercial. It was a little kid in the Darth Vader costume whose dad manages to make him have kind of a Darth Vader force moment uh, using the remote uh, to the to the VW. I actually found it a frightening commercial. I felt like the car was going to start up and run the kid over. But uh, but most people loved it. And, and so it actually created the circumstances under which we find ourselves now, which is that a lot of this ads that you used, to have, you used to have to wait to watch on the Super Bowl um, are now up and you can watch them already. And some of them have already even been banned. So, <laughs> or, or created. Or they say they've been banned. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a strategy, right? Yeah. You're a, yeah. You do communication yeah. strategies. I mean, that is GoDaddy's and Carl's Jr. strategy. Do an ad that will get banned. Right. And Put it all out there so we're all looking for the banned ad because you know, everybody wants to see the little blue things that say what we're not supposed to be saying on TV, I guess. I'm not even sure if we can say it here, can we? Well, 
It depends on what you're planning on <laughs> saying, actually. I don't know. I thought we agreed we weren't going to talk but, about Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Uh, well, we, but, but my point is, you know, like I'm watching these and I'm thinking, wait a minute, were they really banned or are they just telling me they're banned? And I've bought it, so I look them all up on YouTube and watch them. Well, one thing I want to talk about here is, I mean, first of all, the Super Bowl, 112 people, 112 million people, excuse me, will watch the Super Bowl. That's a lot. That's a lot by any standards. 40 million people maybe watch the State of the Union address. Nine million people watched Allison Williams be Peter Pan. Uh, maybe about 43 million people will probably watch the Oscars this year. So, I mean, 40, 112 million people. Is, it's incredible. And so it's, an, uh, it's a chance for a big cultural bet on your commercial. Uh, and, you know, and it sort of does sort of give us some idea a little bit about sort of what, what advertisers and big media companies and what they think we're going to like and what they think we're not going to like, what we're going to react too well. And so here in the first segment, one of the things we'll talk about a little bit anyway is sort of the vibe uh, of these commercials. And I mean, Carolyn, one thing that some of the advertisers have done, I mean, it's gotten so complicated, right? There's sort of layers of jokes about jokes about jokes. And so what Anheuser-Busch has just done is said, basically, screw it, right? Dogs and horses, people like that. (laughs) Um, People love puppies. Puppies are a sure thing. You put a cute puppy in an ad and people are going to watch it and be like, oh, it's a puppy. Kittens, too. Which, you know, for me, I'm, I don't even like the Super Bowl. I'm watching the Puppy Bowl and the Kitten Bowl this weekend. Those are <laughs> – that's my entertainment. And especially you don't even need to watch the Super Bowl for the commercials anymore because we've seen them now all online, which kind of bums me out. Like, you, you know, you used to at least have the Super Bowl to watch all the commercials well, around. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, inter- interestingly, the commercial what, bowl. What the, uh, so GoDaddy managed to make a puppy-based commercial that people objected to, right? It's a. I, I hope it's we're not. Sp- I hope we're not spoiling commercials. I feel like you know. Except why? I don't. You know, we I we went and watched that. So the so the puppy. It's the whole thing. The the takeoff on the puppy that gets lost last year. So now the puppy comes home, and as soon as the puppy runs up to her, she says, uh, "So glad you're home. I just sold you on GoDaddy." Which is kind of funny. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't, GoDaddy I was still a thing. I wasn't horrified. One, I didn't, you know, GoDaddy, but but I I didn't. Luis, did you understand what kind of tripwire was being kicked there with um, this commercial? You know, the, the thing is that um, the commercial, um, I mean, it's just very disturbing at the end of it, mm-hmm. but until the last couple of seconds or whatever, it is a very good commercial. In terms of what, how you feel about puppies, the people who really care <laughs> about puppies. So if you're selling puppies, <laughs> it works. The puppy is like a hero. In, in the in the in the Budweiser commercial, the puppy gets help from the horses. Right. But yeah. in the GoDaddy, the the puppy, it's just like the one. I like one. the way that Luis says puppy. Yeah. Well, it's my problem pronouncing the U in English. Let me <laughs> let me quickly summarize each of these commercials. So, um, in the the uh, Anheuser Busch Budweiser commercial. Uh, the puppy is friends with the Clydesdales. Uh, the puppy uh, gets lost and is making uh, the puppy's making his way back to the farm, the beautiful bucolic farm that he's from. And suddenly he is menaced by wolves. Uh, and uh, so the commercial is kind of anti-wolf. Uh, I'm amazed that there hasn't been more outcry already from people who want to uh, conserve the wolf and the wolf bring, back, the, bring right. the wolf back. But anyway, the puppy is managed by wolves. The Clydesdales break out of the barn and save the puppy. And the puppy and the Clydesdales come running back to the farm together. And despite the fact that we're all smart, cynical people, we all get misty-eyed. Like, I mean, I did. I got verklempt. Did you get verklempt? No. No. I'm the only one who got verklempt? No. Yeah. No. Not in a way that made me want to drink Budweiser, but... uh, (laughs) 
But no, I wanted to drink Budweiser, but only because I thought it was sort of silly. And and if it's a takeoff, if it's supposed to be where last year picked off, this dog has not grown it at all. Yeah, and why what does this puppy pup- keep running away? Well, it's, not yeah. bra- it's not Breaking Bad, you know. It's not like this sort of story arc. <laughs> I, I was uh, looking for that too. Well, come on, if you're look at if you're going to tell me that it's that it's the next uh, storyline, then then make the puppy grow up. I, uh, I want to see action here. I, the GoDaddy commercial, but just, just so you know, shows the puppy kind of unceremoniously getting dumped out of this truck. I mean, that's sort of the first hint that you have that this is not, not going to be the same kind of commercial, but very cute puppy gets bounced out of the truck, starts to make his way back, and as Patty said, when she, he finally does get back to the farm, the, the it turns out to be kind of a puppy bill, basically. The farmer just sort of says, <laughs> that's good, because I just sold you. Um, and, but it, this did, it did there was an, some outrage about this. People who were very worried about puppy mills and puppies being sold over the internet, and, and you know, this is the kind of thing that people do get upset about. So uh, well, I mean, we, besides the, the puppy ads, the two ads that, that really caught my attention, um, one is uh, the one with uh, Katie Keurig and um, Brian Gumbel for uh, BMW, which I think, in my view, is of the ones that I was able to, to watch, uh, is the best one, It's the most creative one, It's the most ingenious one. Now, we, uh, this is one, we almost could have played this one. Most of the ads are so visual, you can't play them. And I thought about playing this one. This one locates a clip of Katie and Brian, uh, I think it's 1994. 1994, yeah. Yeah, 1994. They're talking about the internet, and they just don't know what it is. And they're asking really dumb questions. It's on the Today Show. They're together on the Today Show. It's a real clip. They're trying to figure out what the at symbol means. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, was, that was a conversation. In yeah. fact, when they drew the, the at sign on the screen, they put a circle with an A in the middle. They didn't do the actual at sign. And they keep referring to internet, too. They go, what is internet? Now, do you do you write to internet? Uh, I mean, they really don't, they don't have any idea. And so now you see them having a very similar co- uh, conversation in some kind of incredibly high-tech electric BMW with wind-powered turbines or something in them. Anyway, <laughs> I'm handing it back to you now. Um, no, I, I thought that that was very uh, clever uh, because, first of all, the research to think about, you know, someone remember that clip and to think to link that clip with the innovation that they allege this car has, um, I think was very clever. Um, the the other ad that drew my attention is the one for Mofi um, batteries for mm-hmm. smartphones. Uh, I have one, and I, I can endorse them <laughs> ahead of time. Uh, they're great. Uh, they're going to uh, save $4 million. I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they're <laughs> exactly... But what the ad looks to me a lot like, uh, you know, one of those films is like 28 Days Later or 12 Monkeys or Blade Runner. Uh, whomever directed, produced that commercial, it's really good filmmakers. It's, um, you're basically seeing the end of the world. You're seeing the is. apocalypse. Seeing the end that of the commercial world. was so over the top, is, but so is, effective. It's, so, yeah. it's, it's yeah, really it's, it's well. Kind of brilliant. It's, it's really brilliant. Uh, from a filmmaking perspective, it's really brilliant. But the end of it... Uh, I don't know if we should spoil it or not. I think you can spoil it. Okay, so the end of it, <laughs> the end of it reveals, I mean, the world is like ending, everything is going berserk, and it reveals that uh, God was upset because his phone was not working. Mm. Um, well, my sense was he, he was trying to watch the end of the world. Yeah, so trying, yeah I mean, yeah. maybe. That's and, not, and his oh, I thought he was in control of yeah, it. Yeah, I thought he was in control of it. And it was all falling I think that apart he, because he was his in control died. of the world, and when the phone battery died, then the world goes berserk. Right. All right. That's the way I saw yeah. it. That's a better interpretation. Yes. Yeah. But I, I think that. I feel embarrassed that I didn't get a Go ahead. Yeah, but also what I found interesting is that. Uh, God is portrayed by a black actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it immediately, immediately reminded me of the controversy of with the rumor 
that the next James Bond was going to be a black actor and how that created a fuss and whatever. So I wonder how many people are going to react to that. And the next Ghostbusters are going to Ghostbusters uh, are going to be women. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, um, well, that's another oh, show. Okay, let's let's back up. Let's first of all let's back up up to the Katie and Brian ad because I actually thought that it was actually a pretty good ad too. But I also thought it was a good ad because. Well, I mean, I'm always looking and thinking, what are they really saying? What are they talking to us about? What did you think you were being talked well, to Well, I kind of thought they were talking to, to me, to people like me. who can, I can never figure out how anything works. I always have to find like a 12-year-old to explain to me how, how my phone works and how something works. And so to me, it was this message about, you know, even though you don't understand it, you know, then we all do, you, you know, eventually you it's do sort awesome. of bring, yeah, it'll be awesome. You sort of, you know, you catch up, you find people who can explain it. Um, you know, it just, it sort of felt like, like it was okay to not understand it, A, and that, and that B, at some point we would and things would get better. I don't know. That commercial is distinctly marketed towards a certain age bracket. In other words, you're saying, not her. <laughs> <laughs> not me. I'm far too young. No, I mean, I, I definitely, I remember Katie Couric. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I remember them being hosts together. But I, I, they're, they're targeting that nostalgia of getting to you see that diapers. reunion. Yeah, I mean, well, congratulations. We remember Edward R. Yeah. Murrow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's what one of the panelists in, uh, I don't know if it was last night or the previous night, in the new uh, Larry Wilmore, that's mm-hmm. his guy's name, yeah. at the panel, which, I, by the way, I, it's, I think it's working well lately. It's, mm-hmm. Last night's was, the monologue was really, really extraordinary. But one of the panelists was a young person, your generation, said, well, this ad is only targeted to baby boomers and, like, old Gen Xers, although he called them Gen Ys. Um, that is, you know, probably, but I think that the car is so hip. Oh, that yeah, it would the car looks very cool. Broader. But the commercial made me think of my mother, who still calls me up being like, I'm trying to turn on the internet. And I'm like, yeah. no, I don't. But <laughs> the flip side of it is that it may attract a younger audience that would be laughing at older people for right. not understanding the internet right. back when it occurred. So they I mean, could interpret it that way. And and that car does look, it looks like the future. Yeah. Like that car yeah. Feel, I feel like that some of that back to the future <laughs> fulfillment of dreams is there. You know, here's the other thing. I mean, we're talking about Katie Couric, who made it okay to get a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. Like she's she is has this ability to laugh at herself and to and to put herself in in embarrassing situations and and be totally okay with it. Yeah, I mean, and, and one of the little sort of kickers in the commercials is uh, Bryant looks at her and says, "Do you twerk?" And she says, maybe. That's towards the end, yeah. And I think well, this is also really kind of an expression of what is mainstream culture right now, you know? And mainstream culture is still kind of this, right? It's it's people who are a little bit older, who kind of don't get everything. They're kind of a little bit late to the party. But the people who are early to the party are, are you know, in, in a fairly small percentage. I mean, in fact, an awful lot of the cultural conversation that goes on is about 3 or 4% of the actual culture-consuming public. And, you know, in fact, Katie, and Bryant have been nice placeholders over the years for that much larger demographic that kind of gets things a little bit later, kind of understands things a little bit later, and is always wrestling with the shock of the new. You know, yeah. the internet was the shock of the new in 1994. This car, which doesn't look too much like any other car that I've ever seen, and probably will give you a colonoscopy while you're driving it or something <laughs> like that, you know, is it's it's a new thing. But it, it, as you're suggesting, they're saying, don't be afraid of this new thing. I'm just thinking as you as you describe Katie and I'm just thinking like that's the to, the today show in a nutshell. 
Yeah. It's sort of it's sort of like a week behind. You know what the, you know what the you know what the Today Show is? It, it it it's West Hartford. I've always believed that West Hartford was sort of the center of the universe in the sense that it it's equally behind the leading edge and ahead of the trailing edge of all of American culture. Um, you know that it really is kind of dead center in there. You know, it's it's exactly as far ahead of the clueless as it is behind the avant garde, um, and 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 that's the Today Show too. That is exactly what it is. You you should never watch the Today Show and go, "Wow, I really don't get that," or "That's just like you know that one just whizzed by me" or something. <laughs> yeah, but interesting that, that that you mentioned that because you know, let's say for, from a marketing perspective, and I, I think Patty will the expert here uh, would help us understand this, but um, they. Oftentimes, they test the ads with focus groups or something, right? I mean, that happens. In fact, the story, probably the most famous Super Bowl commercial of all time was Apple's 1984 commercial um, using the theme of 1984, the novel, uh, with a runner throwing a hammer, smashing a screen uh, when the Macintosh was released. Uh, was also filmed as if it was one of those futuristic science fiction movies. But the story with that commercial is that the ad agency, before putting it on air, did a hire some research company, and the research company used focus groups, and they concluded that the that the commercial would bomb, that it would not be a good commercial, and suggested to the ad agency that they do not run it. So, what is the process that goes on? I, I just wonder, in terms of that, something like this with Katie Couric or any other commercial. Well, the, I mean, look at anybody who's doing any kind of advertising needs to have some market research. You need to know, you know, more. You know, you you want to know sort of quantitatively, like how people, f- who feels what about it. Do you have a lot of, you know, what are the numbers or the polling numbers on it? But then you also need to know how people are talking about it, which is where the focus group stuff comes in, you know, what kind of words are they using about it? And I'm I'm guessing that some of the stuff about, you know, they put 10 commercials in front of them and and if somebody's offended by one, they come up with this, I know, we'll say it's banned because they've got something that says that some people don't like it. So it's not totally fake. I think but also that's what I think that a lot of market from. research these days is very, very targeted. In other words, and, you know, and given all the data that's available through, through through Facebook, through Twitter, through all the information that we essentially declare and share uh, with with big data companies, you know, it's it, it's pretty easy to figure out what a Gen Y uh, person who you know who works in the arts and uh, buys a fair amount of wintergreen scented topical <laughs> analgesic. Um, <laughs> Or whatever that is that you've got on right now. Except, um, except you still need to know. You do need to, you know, you can guess at some of that. And you can guess it from all the data mining. And then you have to do a little research on it. You well, probably well, have to do well, some polling. Well, what I was going to say, is though, this, this is different. You really have to communicate. I mean, 112 million people are watching the Super Bowl. This is your opportunity to com- to, to get uh, everyone. To get everyone, and so targeting isn't going to work anymore. I mean, yeah. you really are going yeah. to have to sort of exactly. come up with very, very broad messages exactly. that almost everybody can. A Super exactly. Bowl commercial that stands out to me was, I guess this is probably like 20 years ago now, but the Budweiser frogs. Remember the like little frogs that were yeah. like Budweiser. Of course, See, we, we, of course, we remember that. <laughs> you just made me do that. I, I walked right into that. Yeah. Now, can, can, we, can we back up a little Don't bit? Don't use that in your next audition. Can, can we back up a little bit before yeah. we run out of time yeah. about this issue that the commercials began to be uh, released ahead of the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and how people deal with that? Mm-hmm. Could, could someone, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about this because to me, that is a very interesting phenomenon that is happening now, as Colin was suggesting at the beginning. Well, I uh, one, thing, one really thing I would say about 
about this. Hold your thought for a second. There's like a couple of things that are going on that are linked. One of them is the advanced release of so many of these commercials, although not all of them. A lot of them are held back. There are, as we discovered, teasers to get you excited, like 12-second things like to get you excited. Like a trailer for a commercial. Uh, there literally are trailers for commercials uh, right now. Um, the, but the other thing that's happening that I think is significant, and it's significant for uh, Carolyn's generation, but also to a certain degree for ours, is that advertisers now assume that you are not only watching the Super Bowl, but that you have near you a smartphone where you will go and look up something. So if you've never heard of that particular mobile phone battery company that's done such a tremendous job with their end-of-the-world commercial, you can find out about it right away. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that they don't have to do anymore in terms of explaining to you who and or what GoDaddy is. All right. But it's brilliant to start these things ahead of time. I mean, if you're going to pay $4.5 million to put your ads up, why not maximize it by getting them out there a week ahead of time and getting people like us to talk about them? I and mean, we, we've just given them how much free publicity, <laughs> free publicity. for Budweiser, yeah. for Mophie. Mophie, is that what it's called? Mophie, yeah. Muffie, whatever it is. Uh, but, but it's brilliant. I mean, and, it's, and it doesn't, you know, it costs them something in manpower to make it happen. But, but it sure, sure doesn't cost them four and a half million dollars. Yes, but but I think that what has happened also is that there's a segment of the 112 million people who watch a game that don't care that much about the game at all. They care about two things: the commercials and the halftime show. And so th- there's that other demographic. I don't think that all the 112 That's, million. I mean that. Yeah, mm-hmm. are interested in what actually happens in the game. Although maybe this year, some more, you know, a, a greater segment of the population is invested in the game because they do not lie the story with the footballs and the New England Patriots <laughs> and whatever. Yeah, there's a um, storyline. Yeah, there's yeah. a storyline. But but I think that that the segment that that the, the situation to me, the phenomenon is the people who watch the game not for the game itself, but for the things that surround the game that by now have become really as important almost as the game itself. Well, or people like me. I, I have no interest in the Super Bowl, the Patriots, any of that stuff. What's interesting, the, 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 the cultural phenomenon of a, the, the numbers of people that watch it, the ads, the, the story about the deflated footballs, all of that, that interests me. I think it's, you know, it's sort of fascinating to watch the show. Well, you know, just sort of back to the advanced release of the commercials. Uh, so I'll go, uh, I'll dance a little bit back in history, too. To 2008, uh, I was teaching a course at Trinity uh, on mass media in that particular presidential election campaign. Um, and so if you recall, there was a moment towards the end of that campaign where Obama bought out either half an hour or an hour of prime time, right heading down the home stretch to, to do a big commercial, a big infomercial, you know, and I think it might, might have been a, a half an hour. But anyway, so I wanted my entire class to watch it, and I said, so it's going to be on Tuesday night at 9 o'clock to everybody watch it. And everybody kind of looked at me, uh, this being, you know, a college class, and they said, well, we'll just watch it whenever. You know, and I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. Because, uh, I mean, I was still in this pretty linear old guy way of thinking of, oh, it's, it's, hap- it's happening at Tuesday, at Tuesday night at 9. That's when we'll watch it. And one of the major cultural shifts that's gone on really over the last 10 years is nothing happens at any particular time. So people really don't feel as though they're trapped in some kind of top-down experience of, okay, here comes the Doritos commercial. I better pay attention. Um, first of all, these commercials are run at Super Bowl parties where half the people are talking during the commercials and the other half are paying rapt attention. But basically, you young people with your pho- smartphones and your 
you're this and you're that, Carol. And you don't you don't watch things in any particular orderly way. So it, there really is no point in confining the commercial. True, except now people. commercials do these things, like you were saying, where they're assuming you have your phone with you and you can use uh, like Shazam, like a lot of commercials. Uh-huh. Yep. If you Shazam the commercial, yep. it takes you to you know, their website or you get a discount or things like this. And I know the halftime show, mm-hmm. Katy Perry is selling things through her halftime there will be, show. There will be four things, we are told, that will be seen during Katy Perry, Perry's halftime show that if you have the right kind of television or the right kind of other equipment, I don't know whether Shazam works with it, although that would seem to be a natural fit, uh, that you will immediately be able to buy those things. And not one of them will be good music? No, sorry. I see if I'm confused or not, but I think it was Murphy Batteries that also announced that if the game goes into overtime, yes. they're going to do a giveaway of, a, of I don't know, products worth a million dollars. I think it's more than a million dollars. Or mm-hmm. more than yeah, a million dollars. I think it may be more than a million dollars. So there are all these tie-ins created to the game. The game, the game has become a marketplace that, is, it's, to me, is really fascinating. That's... Well, yeah, go ahead. You know, the only other thing I'd say about live versus watching it online is that the other thing that's happened is with Twitter, I find that when I would when I didn't used to watch stuff live anymore, now I am because I'm also on Twitter at the same time and mm, I'm watching yep. the commentary. Yep. Which sort of makes it more entertaining. It's it's yeah. the best way to and watch Facebook an awards too. show. Right. Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, that's that is our collective campfire now. Uh, and it is where we discuss and it's things different. in real time. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to be talking about political correctness. I have a great Super Bowl commercial segue into this topic. Time for commercials. Okay, we're back. This is The Nose. Uh, with us are Carolyn Payne, Luis Figueroa, and Patty McQueen. Um, so I do. I think I have a bridge from one segment to another, and that is we're going to be talking a little bit uh, in this segment about political correctness. There was, and I didn't make the panel read it because I'm just not that cruel. Um, There's a very, very long essay by Jonathan Chait this week in, the, in New York Magazine uh, in which he sort of alleged a rekindling of the kind of pol- political correctness that was popular on college campuses. And the, I don't know, popular is probably the wrong word, but that was imposed on college campuses, especially during the early 1990s. Um, he says it's still here. It's enforced in social media as well as in the media itself and, and, and certainly on college campuses. And it, would, it, it excited this huge array of responses, mostly negative towards uh, Jonathan Chait. But I was sort of wondering, we're not going to really discuss that exactly, but I was sort of wondering, well, you know, then it is interesting to look at the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl commercials because that's mainstream culture, right? So is political correctness in any way evident there? And my thought is basically no. Obviously, it's the, the, the most extreme examples are the commercials that are either banned or intentionally banned. Carl's Jr. has one this year that's just all about uh, a very busty model Catherine McKinney. I don't know. Where, I don't know the names of models anymore. But um, but anyway, it's just her in a very string bikini kind of thing, eating a hamburger with a lot of hamburger juice dripping down her. I mean, it just it's you know it's that kind of thing. And so that's sort of I, to me that's sort of an implicit you know screw you political correctness. <laughs> We're not the least bit interested in you. Um, but to me and and Carolyn, I'd be interested in your reaction. I was interested. I noticed sort of bets being made on a certain kind of female comic persona. 
There's uh, going to be a commercial that stars Chelsea Handler and Sarah Silverman. We did get we saw the teaser for it, which is very funny, funnier than most of the commercials, probably. And um, Newcastle Ale recruited Aubrey Plaza to do these kind of faux commercials, uh, trying that are not running during the Super Bowl, but are um, one of them on the internet is already has already over a million views, in which she's talking about how all of the smaller companies should get to, get together and make co- a commercial that has all of their logos and insignia on it. And it's not even the most hilarious concept, but Aubrey Plaza also has a certain kind of affect. Um, and I thought, I thought the choice of those particular female comic performers in such a mainstream context as the Super Bowl with its over 100 million person audience is kind of interesting. I don't know. What do you make of that? I, well, I love all three, all three of those women I find to be hilarious. And the, the Aubrey Plaza one specifically, because it's kind of this commercial that they're creating to parody. I mean, they, they have like a, she has like a cute puppy and, you know, there's like this like ruggedly handsome man with a white smile. And, you know, she's, they're just poking fun at all of those, those triggers that they use to get us to like their commercial and uh, I, and I, I mean Aubrey Plaza just nails that one in my opinion. She uh, where she's like milking the cow, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Look excited!" And she's like, "This is me excited." <laughs> and she's using the F word and being bleeped all the way through it. Yeah, too, you know? yeah. Um, I I I think that it's great to give uh, these these female comedians this kind of platform in in something that they could have easily gone much more like male dominant. So it's kind of this like, yay, girl power, <laughs> funny funny women getting in there. Well, Patty, I'll use my West Hartford argument to explain this one, okay? So if the leading edge, if the avant-garde is a real kind of political correctness, a real kind of attentiveness to all kinds of possible offenses, and the trailing edge is clueless boobery and, <laughs> and you know, barbarian uh, Philistine behavior, uh, then what's in the middle? And it seems to me what's in the middle, what the Super Bowls, what... T-Mobile or whoever hired uh, those two comedians in Newcastle. And, you know, if, it's interesting to me if Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, not that they're in commercials, but you know, I put them in sort of a more or less the same Well, they group. are, but not yeah. in Super yeah. Bowl ones. And, and, and Sarah Silverman and Chelsea Handler and Aubrey Plaza. If that's what's in the middle, I mean, that's an interesting middle to me. I don't know. Let me, let me, rather than leaving you hanging like that, let me say what I mean. I mean, these are, I mean, okay, let's stick with Chelsea and with Sarah Silverman and with Aubrey Plaza. These are, they're kind of foul-mouthed. They're, you know, they, they, on the one hand, tweak and, and prick at various kinds of political correctness. I mean, Sarah Silverman makes completely shocking uh, jokes about the most taboo subjects, but in a way that ultimately brings you along, I mean, rather than being an attack on the sensibility, rather than being an attack on an anti-rape sensibility, I mean, it really ultimately is a a joke that that wakes you up about your own attitudes towards rape or whatever it is that she's joking about. Because I think that's the angle from which they approach it. I think it's how those three comedians handle things that otherwise could come across incorrectly. And I, mean, I, I yeah, go ahead. I mean, I guess I just wonder where the, you know, it it, it it all just seems sort of artificial to me. I mean, I you know, my sense of them is that they sort of push the edge and that, you know, like comedians do, they'll just sort of keep going until somebody says, "Okay, too, that's too much." And then they'll um, keep going. And then they'll keep going. And that and that somebody has said, you know, let's try to do some of that in these commercials. And I'm not sure um I don't know. You know, I'm not I'm I'm not sure about whether there's a there's a, a, a middle of the road there on the 
on the Super Bowl commercials or not. I mean, I, I watch some of those and I just think some of the ones that are supposedly banned, you know, there was the little blue dot dot thing that I just thought, you know, I mean, it's just stupid. Well, I mean, Louise, I do feel as though that, that you know, and I think you actually did churn your way through the Jonathan Shade article. That I, I, I actually read some I of that, too. I read, did too. read most of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, I didn't he, know what he, it was about. He, he but needs to learn how to edit his, his essays <laughs> yeah. because I think they're just too much in them that it's not necessary, but go ahead. But you sort of look at what mainstream culture is, and it seems like it's not what he's saying, you know, yeah. that he's saying that, there, that there's this very restrictive and stricture-laden culture of, of repression of all kinds of um, statements and beliefs that, that might, might offend somebody or kick somebody's trigger or something like that. It seems to me mainstream culture is pretty freewheeling, and we really do like people like Sarah Silverman and Chelsea Handler, these kind of foul-mouthed comedians who, who don't observe taboos and invite us to laugh at some of our anxieties about those tab- taboos. Well, my, we don't have many things I could say about this, but I'll just try to keep it to, to a few. Uh, the first one is that um, he creates a really a situation in the argument in which to the left of quote-unquote centrist liberals who might be flip-flopping or whatever that he argues, to the left of them, whatever exists to the left, all is uniform. And this uniformity to the left of them is the uniformity of the people who are narrow-minded and want speech codes and they're protesting and banning speakers on campus, when in fact that is not the case. Um, <clears throat> not all the people who are to the left, you know, in, in, you know in, in that area, let's say broader area, of people concerned with certain forms of speech um, are sharing all the things that the more radical ones are saying, right? Um, it's, you know, I, I think that there are certain kinds of speech that are very problematic, and it depends on the context. It depends on the people who are uh, using them, in what context, and so on. Right, so but it, and I find some of the examples that he gave uh, really ridiculous, like the one at the City University of New York, where they're prohibiting now um, faculty from addressing students with the you know saying calling them Mister or Miss uh, because that's offensive. I mean, from my perspective, that's going too far. I, my my favorite one was the one I think it was Stanford University was banning performances of the vagina monologues yes. because there were no women in there without vaginas? <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah. But get, not to get uh, back to... But, 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 yeah, uh, but, but I would say this is also... I'm sorry. What is that? <laughs> I don't... I'm, I'm, I, 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 got that, I got stuck on that. What does yeah. that mean? Well, I think it, it, uh, if, you, if you were, walk, if you're working tra- if you were yeah. watching Transparent... Uh, on okay. uh, Amazon, you you know okay. that there are some women who don't have vaginas. No, yeah. no, I just I just want to be. But yeah, I look over at Carolyn for yeah. right. But I mean, just just as a footnote here, a side note, because before I, I try to come back to some of the things oh, I wanted to sorry. say, is, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. But I just want to add, there was an article in the New York Times Magazine uh, like a couple of months ago about the challenge that Wellesley College is facing now because there are students at Wellesley. Uh, who are not the traditional definition of who is a woman, right? And it's a woman's college. Do they belong there? And so on. So what happens is that we are, I mean, here's where I'm stepping as a historian, I guess, and say that what happens is we are in a transition period in, in, in a lot of things that are not settled there yet in the culture, in the politics of the societies. Um, you know, there was a time when we had to go through a transition between accepting that slavery, for some people, accepting that slavery was okay, to not accepting it. 
there was a time when we went as human beings from uh, believing that human sacrifice was acceptable <laughs> to when some, at some time they became non-acceptable. So we are going through that. And when we go through that process, things pull in different kinds of directions, not always in the best way, until things get settled at least at some extent, right? But I mean, let me put this other way. Why do we believe, and many people in the society believe, that there is still a need for an organization such as, let's say, the Anti-Defamation League, right? They, they, ha- they, they, they fulfill a certain role in society. And so we believe, you know, a lot of people, at least not everyone maybe in the audience, that social organization is a you know, legitimate organization to exist. But then we don't think that it's legitimate to bring up other similar issues with the use of certain language in society, right? Well, we, we have agreed, ex- by the way, that's a better, uh, that w- I would have rather that just listen to you say that than to have <laughs> read Jonathan Chait. That was so much better what you just did. But, you know, we have a really great example of this and uh, like a nice sort of case study to walk you through as opposed to the abstractions uh, into which Jonathan Chait occasionally invites us. And actually, Luis was the person who guided us, us to this. So Benedict Cumberbatch, the wonderful actor Benedict Cumberbatch, even though I wasn't that big a fan of the imitation game, um, he was talking on Tavis Smiley's show and he was talking about um, actors of color. Unfortunately, what he re- he referred to them as uh, colored actors. And he, say, he was complaining that there weren't enough good opportunities for them, particularly in Britain. The colored actors, as he po- called them, often have to come to America, to the U.S., rather than the U.K. to get the kind of work that they, they should get and that they deserved. Um, and obviously, this is not um, the way that... This is a, a nice example of political incorrectness. You, you do not call them colored actors. And you're supposed to know that, too. You're supposed to know that you don't call them that. Um, so uh, he also dealt with it through a, an elaborate apology uh, in which he said, I am devastated to have caused offense by using this outmoded terminology. I offer my sincere apologies and make no excuse for my being an idiot and know that damage is done. And he goes on. It's a three-paragraph of apology. He, he concludes, I feel the complete fool I am. And while I am sorry to have offended people and to learn from my mistakes in such a public manner, please be assured that, that I have. I apologize again to anyone who I offended for this thoughtless use of inappropriate language about an issue which affects friends of mine and which I care about deeply. Um, isn't it the difference between, you know, being a little more literal and and paying attention to what somebody's saying? I mean, this is an example of, okay, he, he you know, probably shouldn't have used that word, but it isn't the end of the world. And if you look at the, the context of what he said, it doesn't, you know, he doesn't say it in a, to be mean. He's it not saying derogatory. it. Well, it, it was. wasn't a derogatory use. And I think... And and you know, I, you know, I'm I've been accused of being politically correct also, but but I think I think that there are times when you sort of have to take the the sword out and and go at somebody, and there are other times when you say, you know, all right. Well, yeah, well I mean, Luis, well, I was going to ask you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, looking at this story and looking at how Cumberbatch handled it, and, and David Oyelowo, uh, who I name I just mispronounced, but is the guy who plays Martin Luther King and Oyelowo, yeah, mm-hmm. um, in in Selma, came forward and said, "This is insane. He he's a good guy. He was trying to say something important and worthwhile, and it's just to be 
flyspecking him about his language here is, is ridiculous. But, you know, the, the, the portrait that you sketched, which I thought was a really great one, about how when society's in transition, there's a lot of tension and confusion. And people are wondering, what can I say? What can I say? Um, how come there are these people policing th- these parts of my speech, but other people get to say this stuff? Uh, you know, so how come a person f- from inside one group can use a word that I can't use mm-hmm. from outside that group? There are just, you know, dozens and dozens of these kinds of questions uh, at, at times, as you say, of, of turbulent change. It seemed to me that this thing invites us to, that there actually might be a simple, you know, one versus zero litmus test, which is, are you being a jerk? Um, if you are being a jerk, then you probably deserve censure. <laughs> if you're not being a jerk, yeah. even if you said something wrong, maybe you, you, you get to skate. I don't know. Am I being oversimplistic? Well, I mean, for, let me put it this way um, very quickly. The first thing to approach it is also that people think oftentimes that there has to be always a correspondence that is neat between a word and what it supposedly signifies, right? And in, in, you know, in scholarship, in academic circles, we have traveled now like 25 years or more of cultural studies theory that argues that in a lot of circumstances, words are what they call, the technical term is called floating signifiers, that their signification, what the, the word means, shifts by social context. And so this is what happened with words like this. Uh, for example, um, we had a show, I think I was part of a show here, where we were talking about what is called trigger warnings mm-hmm. that are now uh, pushed in academia that we should n- tell people before we discuss a topic or show a film or slides or whatever or assign a reading that we should tell people, if you're offended, you can leave the room, right? And I came out in that conversation as being opposed to this. Now I'm trying to do it, but I mean, look, I teach the history of slavery in Latin America and the Caribbean, uh, issues of race, African diaspora, Latin America and the Caribbean. And in that class, in those classes, I have to use the so-called N-word. I have to use the terminology that, um, that actors use of colored people and the distinction between that and people saying people of color and so on. And I use the actual. I don't say in class uh, the N-word. I use the actual word and try to explain to students where it came from, how it's being used. So it depends on context. And words, words, they're not completely floating without connection to certain things, but they do move. And in transition periods like the one we're having now, they are very contentious, right? They're very contentious. And now, and I'll say this, why they're contentious, and here's the part where maybe Colin and I will then part ways, is because in transition periods, people who have a certain privilege, whatever it might be, don't like their privilege to be challenged. And so, you know, Colin and I are men in this panel. Well, there's certain privileges in society that accrue to men that don't accrue to women. And so a lot of men don't like to be challenged on a number of issues. We had to go through transitions to deal with this problem. And the same happens with other topics. All right, for example, let me give you, to, to flip the... Do politi- it quickly because we're running out of yeah, time. Yeah, no, the, to flip the political equation completely. You have in this country to say for the last, well, I don't know how many, like 20 years or 25 years or 30 years, oh, we support the troops. I support the troops. And there is a certain speech code that is made in this society that if you don't say that, then, oh my God, you're banned mm-hmm. from from politics or public discourse. Why? Why is that? I mean, so that's another form of, of, of this contention. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great example. We do have to take a break here, um, partly because we have to take a break and partly because I'm somewhat dizzy from the fumes coming from Carolyn. She's wearing Ben LGBT today. I think <laughs> we don't actually just say Ben, ben Gay anymore. 
Anyway, we'll be back after this. Were there any transgender rhinos represented in that commercial? I'm writing a letter to somebody. Today's show was produced by Colin McEnroe and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Brian Gumble. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff's banned Super Bowl commercial for Carl's Jr., visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday's show, what do Mike Berbiglia and Mark Bittman have in common? Think hard. And now, back to Colin. All right, we are back. We are so back. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to do endorsements right now. Carolyn Payne, what have you got for us? All right, the reason I am covered in Ben LGBT is because uh, Kinetic Dance, my company, we are doing a um, contemporary ballet brand new based on the Coney Island exhibit at the Wadsworth. They commissioned me to create this uh, performance, and uh, we're using aerial dancing in it, so it's really exciting and a lot sort of, of fun. Sort of a la pink, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah I am spinning so you, you in a lira hoop. Pink. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yes. So, um, But you're in pink pain right now. Yes, I am a little bit sore from doing this. Uh, so that's February 7th. So that's coming up next weekend at the Wadsworth. And the Coney Island exhibit I've seen, and it, that's incredible. So you should go... Go uh, go see that. So the name of your performance is? just so uh, Coney Island Love Under the Boardwalk. All right. Uh, absolutely. Go and see uh, Kinetic Dance. Do that on February 7th. Uh, Luis, what have you got for us? Uh, quickly, uh, first of all, I was always a skeptic about yoga, and I decided to try it out. Um, I'm taking a class, you know, introductory gentle yoga class with a fellow called Shankara Newton at the West Hartford Yoga Studio, and I absolutely love, love it uh, for many reasons. Not only the physical section. I mean, I, saw, I played sports when I was growing up. The physical section is substantial, but also the mental part of it is really, to me, was the part that really surprised me. Uh, so I, I would like to endorse the West Hartford Yoga, and especially Shankara Newton. That's the only picture that I've had so far. Mm -hmm. And quickly, um, my alter ego, Accented DJ, will be uh, again at the um, Real Airways Cocktail Happy Hour on February 19th. And the theme for the night uh, of the performances, other than the music, is going to be the fact that this is a Chinese New Year. Hmm. So that will be February 19th uh, from 6 to 10 at the Real Airways. And Luis also will be doing aerial work on that. Night. So <laughs> that's like a kind of the theme running through the panel today. Patty McQueen, what have you got? Uh, so I have one serious one, which is I just finished a book called uh, Narrow Road to the Deep North by Richard Flanagan. I think it won the Man Booker Award. Uh, it's about prisoners of war in World War II, and it's um, it takes a little bit to get into it, but I thought it was one of the more moving reads uh, in a long time. Absolutely worth it. Uh, and my other more fun one is somebody had suggested to me uh, checking out um, the Exploding Kittens card game on Kickstarter, which is... Uh, it's just worth Googling and taking a look at it. Just the pictures alone are absolutely worth it. I and can't wait. It'll for make that you to want a catnip sandwich. Right. <laughs> so after you Googled Gwyneth Paltrow and Steam, you can now then Google Exploding v, Kittens. V Steam. Yeah. V and then uh, I think just Gwyneth and Steam, you'll get it. But, um, <laughs> 
and then, of course, the FBI will visit your house. But anyway, um, so I, I first of all, I want to uh, endorse uh, tonight, Mike Berbiglia is performing down at Southern Connecticut State University at the John Lyman Auditorium, I think it's called. Um, and so, first of all, we love Mike Berbiglia um, in his new show. It's called something like Let's Hear It for Jokes or something like that. But anyway, he's very funny. We will be running an interview with Mike, which we should have run before his performance at the Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, Thank God for Jokes is the name of the thing. Well, anyway, we should have run it like yesterday, but we recorded it yesterday, so we couldn't. So on Monday, you'll hear both Mark Bittman and Mike Berbiglia, guys whose names begins with, whose initials are MB, uh, on our show. Not together, uh, but Mike's really, really funny, and it's going to be a great show. Uh, And so I do encourage you to go see that tonight. And then... um, you know, since you are getting ready for the Oscars, too, I just do want to mention that at Real Artways, they've got all of the shorts. Read A.O. Scott's piece about the shorts in today's New York Times, about all the, the three kinds of shorts that get shown. And then uh, at Real Artways, you'll have to check their schedule, but they got the animated shorts, the live-action shorts, and the documentary shorts. Uh, they're also showing... Uh, Ida, Citizen Four, Song of the Sea, and Last Days in Vietnam uh, at various times in between now and the Oscars. Uh, meanwhile, over at Cine Studio, James is going to be showing Ida as well. It's probably going to win the Best Foreign Movie, Theory of Everything. So do support uh, your local independent movie theaters. And then lastly, if you don't read the book that Patty just told you about, then I would argue, urge you to uh, – I've endorsed this already, but I'm really trying to get people interested in this. Go to the Morning News Tournament of Books. Probably if you just Google that, the Morning News 2015 Tournament of Books. There's 16 books that they're going to be laying out in brackets, uh, like the March basketball brackets, starting in March. They're all uh, literary fiction from last year. And I'm really trying to get people interested in this. So just maybe try to read four or five of the books this month if you can uh, because we're going to do a really fun show about it. We're going to do the show bracket style with panelists and experts and commentators. And it's also a good excuse to read last year's literary fiction. So I've already read All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. I'm reading The Paying Guest by Sarah Waters right now. I've got a stack of books that I'm going to try to plow through in February. Well, thanks very much anyway to Carolyn Payne, to Luis Figueroa, and to Patty McQueen. And we will see you on Monday. We'll be at the study on Monday at around 10 o'clock in the morning with the actress who plays Michonne on Walking Dead. We'll be doing that on Monday morning at 10 o'clock, taping a show then. Then our MB show will run at 1. Please, you find that funny? Of course you find that funny. We'll see who's laughing after I contact the Antarctic and Rhino Project to let them know that the entire Antarctic and Rhinoceros population isn't represented at all in Doritos commercials. Ha!